You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of Vice. It's Friday, December 7th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today, we're talking about health disparities in America and how systemic racism is an often under-acknowledged factor in the mental and physical health results of Black Americans. Through new research and a more conscious exploration of health disparities, it's now clear that Black Americans have worse health outcomes than white Americans across the board. What's more, they found that if you're rich and Black in America, you're still much more likely to experience adverse health results. This is called weathering, a term that describes the deterioration of health as a result of the chronic stress caused by systemic racism. Today, we've got Tonic editor Rajul Punjabi talking with writer George Johnson about his story. So, George, your story is about this concept called weathering. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is? I think the best way to describe weathering so that people really understand what it is is almost talking about it, like, in terms of, like, a storm. So it's like if if you think about a house that goes to, like, a hurricane and it, like, weathers that storm, there may be some damage to that house. And so it's like even though you may repair the damages of that house, by the time the next storm comes through, it may do more damage. And then by the time the next storm comes through, it does more damage. And that's kind of how, in my opinion, the term of like weathering came about. It's about how black people in this country have kind of had to weather multiple storms on multiple fronts, whether it be healthcare, whether it be uh, the wage gap, whether it be racism, uh, whether it just be traumas from the past. And I believe in the story, I kind of call it like death by a thousand paper cuts. It's not like a sudden blow that necessarily happens, but it's just over time, the stress that your body takes on just continues to wear on you and wear on you and wear on you until it manifests into poorer health outcomes and poorer health conditions that eventually take you out over time. I think that's a really eloquent way of explaining it because I think the theory itself is kind of academic and it's about, you know, years of wear and tear, as the sociologist Arlene Geronimus calls it. And the theory also argues that it's more than about poverty that yields these terrible health outcomes. It's really essentially race and blackness in America. And you tell that story through your grandmother. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. My grandmother, she was raised in the South in Spartanburg, South Carolina, was the well, she's considered the baby um, because she had three children that were younger than her who passed away in a house fire. So even though it was 13 of them, they always say she's the baby of the 10 that survived the fire. Um, She grew up during a time of Jim Crow. 
you know, lots of violence, lots of racism, being told stories about the Klan, um, dealing with racism firsthand, not only when she lived in the South, but there were times where uh, when she lived in Jersey, she also dealt with racism from a particular family that lived on the same street as them. And uh, she had actually got into an altercation with that family and had to go to court over it. And this was back in the early 70s. Um, so she's always had to deal with bouts of racism and things like that. It was in the 80s that she was first diagnosed with breast cancer and she had the first mastectomy. Uh, And during that time, they told her, like, if she didn't go on chemotherapy, that she would only have six months to live. Uh, She decided that she didn't want to do chemo and she survived. She then had a second cancer scare on the other breast. And so she had to have a mastectomy uh, on that breast. So in turn, a double mastectomy. She's always had like health conditions, just health concerns have always kind of played a role in our family, in her life. Uh, She's diabetic as well, which is something that kind of runs through most black families, unfortunately. Her third bout of cancer was lung cancer, and she had surgery on that where they had to remove like a small piece of her lung and, again, survived that. And now, unfortunately, she's battling brain cancer, glioblastoma, which is kind of like a, well, it's a terminal brain cancer, the same thing John McCain passed away from. And she's going through chemo treatments for that. But, you know, it has a lifespan on it, unfortunately, where most people following surgery only survive 12 to 15 months. Um, So that's kind of been her story. Like, again, like the story of a black woman who's always had to work, always been a provider for her family, helped raise all of her grandkids. And it's kind of unfortunate of a way to go to finally start to see people like her grandkids, like myself, start to rise in society as a journalist and as a activist and as an author and, you know, finally be able to potentially break that cycle of a, of a black family not having money or a black family not being able to create generational wealth. And for her to not be able to see that is kind of like unfortunate. But even in the story, she still says she had no regrets. And I think that was kind of the most powerful piece for me, because it's like to go through so much and to go through all of that You've had your own children pass away. You've had a grandson that passed away. You just had so much taken from you in the world and still just be faithful to God and faithful that we're going to be okay. And like your only concern is still us. I just think it speaks volumes about the black condition and kind of that particular generation and how they've just raised this current generation of black people. First of all, when you named one health condition after the other, and you say this in the story, too, that people might hear that and say, oh, she's had bad luck. And it's it's not bad luck, right? There's a whole system at play here that a lot of people are ignorant to. Yes. Can you say something about that? And so I think that's to go back to kind of where the question started. People think that poverty like will fix that. Like if you fix poverty, which I think is kind of where we started. And it's like when you look at the stories that are coming out now around Serena Williams and Beyonce both almost dying from pregnancy and how black women are dying at four times the rate of white women from childbirth in 2018. And it just kind of sounds kind of crazy. But there are other things that are happening within the community that are taking us out despite what your socioeconomic status looks like. HIV is another epidemic that runs very high in black gay men or black men who have sex with men as well as black women. Diabetes is another one that runs very high in our communities and that still kills a lot of people in the black community. 
I think a lot of researchers in this piece and in general who study these kinds of things say that it comes down to redlining of neighborhoods where a lot of Black families were allowed to live and the school system and the kinds of things that were available to eat and drink that have shaped the way so many of these diseases have progressed in the community, as you say. What are your steps as an activist to try and change that? That's always interesting because it's like even where I live at now, like I live in Flatbush and to walk to the gym, I have to walk past at least five fast food restaurants. And like the part of Brooklyn that I live, there is no Whole Foods. There is no supermarket. Like, I mean, there's a Caribbean supermarket, but that's it. And so... You're absolutely right when you think about those particular communities. Um, and there have been so many studies done where you see they typically put more fast food restaurants in poorer black communities. They typically sure. put more. You see more liquor stores. You'll see more Chinese food places. You'll see more advertising for cigarette companies and for things that create poor health conditions within those particular communities. Again, what you'll see is then less access to being able to get better foods or better products. But I think that you have like this whole access issue and then you also have a whole utilization issue and then you have like a gentrification issue. And weathering is, as we've talked about, more than access. But I feel like that's a motif that's come up in this conversation. And it's something that you have been vocal about being an advocate for others and yourself when it comes to healthcare access. Can you talk a little bit about what you've learned in your trips to the doctor for yourself? Mm -hmm. For me, in dealing with um, being HIV positive, it's like a twofold issue, especially with black communities, because you have like an issue with access. So you have places in the South, primarily places in rural areas where you have these high concentrations of people who are at risk for HIV, who don't have any access, don't have any services for them that are for 30, 40, 50 miles away. The second issue you have is utilization. Even in places where you do have access, you have where black people have built up so much mistrust uh, with the medical community because of the Tuskegee experiment, just because of post-traumatic slave disorder and just so many things that we've watched happen to black people in healthcare, which are only now starting to see the light of day, interestingly enough, with more uh, celebrities coming out kind of saying, like, I have access, I have money, I have personal doctors and private doctors, and I'm still having to fight them when I'm in pain. And so you have no access for certain black people. And then for black people where you do have access, you have no utilization of those services until it becomes an emergency simply because of this fear of the doctor or this fear of knowing that if something's wrong with them and they do tell someone, they're not to be believed anyway. I kind of want to circle back to the concept of family that you talked a little bit about before, that health is not essentially just about one person. So if we're talking about a bad health outcome with your grandmother, it's not just going to affect her. It's going to affect her entire family unit. And that could be blood relatives and family friends and things like that. How has that happened in your family? Yeah, um, there was a period in August where I took care of her for a week uh, because my mom and my aunts had to go out of town. And so I was responsible for breakfast, lunch, dinner, her insulin shots, taking her to her radiation and chemo appointments. And so it, it affects you in that way because you all have to change your schedules when a loved one or something happens, especially if you don't have like... Medicaid that's going to be able to place them in a, a facility or have someone come to do home health aid work or help during the times or hours where you're at work. Um, I think another way that it affects us that we don't talk about is mentally and how, especially like when you're dealing with someone who's terminally ill, how you're almost like mourning someone who's still alive. So, yeah, it, it definitely plays a toll on everybody. That one person's sickness plays a role on every single person in the family. 
Speaking of the way weathering affects an entire family unit, you touch on the Garners, Eric Garner and his family in the story. Can you tell us what you learned from looking into the way weathering you believe, we believe, has affected that family in so many different ways? Yeah, I think definitely in the case of Erica Garner, who became an activist quickly after her father being killed by the police officer from the illegal chokehold, you saw the toll it was taking on her. I couldn't even imagine, like, if you had to wake up every single day, especially living in this area, and see that video over and over and over and over again. Uh, I mean, they even showed it again today. And every time I see that video, it does something to me. And so I could only imagine waking up every day and being the child of that person and having to wake up and seeing my father be killed. And that effect it takes, you know, on your body each time. I just think that Erica's body honestly got worn down between the protesting, between the activism, between seeing that video over and over again, and then going through the most traumatic, stressful thing in most cases that a woman can go through, which we already referred to as childbirth and her having the heart condition already being weakened. I think all of those problems just intersected in a way that her body just couldn't take the stress anymore until it just finally gave out. Um, And she went into the coma and then, you know, a few days later passed away. And again, it's like, then you have to think like, well, what is her grandmother going through? Her grandmother has now lost not only her child, but now has lost her grandchild in a span of less than two years and is still, even today, on the news fighting because the officer is still contesting that he did not choke him and how this one officer has literally affected this entire family. And so it's like it just continues to play out the trauma over and over and over again. And it does something to the body and to the mind eventually until you just kind of can't take it or your body just kind of gives out. So not to shade other publications who have put out fairly similar stories in the last couple of years, I feel like this one stands out because it is about this concept of blackness in America versus um, socioeconomics tied in, like that you can be a wealthy black person in America and still have to deal with so many things that white people and other races don't necessarily have to. We see athletes all the time being pulled over by cops and uh, they are rich. And and some people think that they're exempt from these kinds of things. But that's the whole point of this, right? That it's about race and it's something that we need to really closely examine. Right. It it really knows no bounds. It, It doesn't matter like what your education is. It doesn't matter what your health care status is. It's like a system of anti-blackness. And so it just permeates through every single system that we go through. And so even when you talk about, like you said, health care. So on that front, you have the issues around pregnancy and the issues around treatment and the issues around access for our communities. But then when you talk about law enforcement, it's not just the police officers. You have prosecutors who are literally against us and or they're not prosecuting people or police officers who are doing these things to us. When you think about the K-12 through education system, uh, you have a school-to-prison pipeline that's literally treating um, young black girls and black boys with zero tolerance for the same or lesser offenses that it's doing to white children. And then it's automatically kicking them out of school, then automatically sending them through the prison system, which is another form of trauma to a family when a loved one goes to jail for a long time. And that's mass incarceration. And so and again, like there's when you talk about like the black family dynamic, it's like if someone were to ask me, like, well, what has your family been through? It's like, well, I've had uncles that have been in jail. I've had cousins who have been murdered on the street. I've had family members who have passed away from HIV. I've had family members who have passed away from diabetes. I've had 
you know, my mom has had two brain surgeries. My father has had open heart surgery twice. My grandmother is currently going through brain cancer. I mean, and it's just like, and I'm only 33. And again, I can just keep going with story after story after story after story. And then it's like when you tell these things to like white families, they're just like, how is there so many things? Like, is your family just unfortunate? It's like, well, no. And I could literally go from black family to black family to black family and ask them these things. Do you know someone who's been incarcerated? It's always going to be yes. Do you know someone in your family with diabetes? It's always going to be yes. And so all of these things just play a role in every single black family, whether you're Beyonce or whether you're... Bob, who works at, you know, McDonald's, we're all connected in that way where the systems are just stacked against us from multiple angles, and it just takes a toll on us. You can read the full piece at tonic.vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And tune in again on Monday for another Vice Guide to Right Now.